This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey, uh, Mr. Muller, Henry Lee from KTVU. Uh, used to be with the Chronicle. You probably uh, know. Uh, j- j- just for the record, we're uh, sorry about all the technical difficulties. Let me just. Get... Oh, that's okay. I hear that the system doesn't like iOS. Yeah, you know what? I'm the only Asian guy who knows nothing about technology. It might be a firewall. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so let, let me just get right to it because I, I this thing may not work in any minute. Uh, prelims coming up. People are saying that, yeah, we know the Constitution allows you to confront your accusers, but some people are saying this is odious. It's almost uh, – uh, it makes some people very uncomfortable that you might end up crossing uh, Denise. Your thoughts about their repulsion and how you will – ask questions of Denise in what way, sensitively, carefully, how will you do this? Sure. Well, I mean, just by way of background, I really did not choose the time for this at all. I was actually, for my own reasons, trying to get a delay for as long as I could. Um, I'd had some problems back in prison, and so, you know, I got here, and my attorney, someone I'd already contracted, was supposed to be handling the case. He was out of the country. The district attorney's office did not want to wait until he was available to do things, um, so again, this is yeah, someone, I think it said something about how oh, I'm timing this for their wedding. I have no control over when this is. I really do not. Um, regarding other things, I really do not want to be the person that, that cross-examines her. I tried to get the judge to appoint an attorney to do that. I kind of thought that was a no-brainer. Um, the judge didn't want to do that. It's not that he wouldn't appoint counsel, period. It's just that in the short time before the hearing, Really, I'm the only one who would know the case well enough to be able to effectively, you know, know the factual background to prepare it in such a short time. Um, but I was just hoping at least to have some other person to just read the questions that I wrote or, or do something, um, because I did not want to do that. Um, I guess the judge felt that that was not something that the law was amenable to, so there was really nothing I could do about that. Um, the confrontation clause, I actually. Legally speaking, I don't think it's a trial right, so I don't think it attaches to preliminary. Um, I think that they can actually put a lot of their case on just by hearsay evidence, so they can bring their statements in by having an investigator state it. Um, As far as the the timing with the wedding, again, I did offer a time after the wedding. Um, I don't even know that they'll be there on the first day. I don't know that they want to be there when the preliminary happens or that they've been told by the prosecution their presence is required. Um, I'm, you know, working with the prosecution right now. I think there are some misunderstandings. They didn't really understand, I hope, (laughs) the consequences of um, ripping me out of Tucson the way that they did. Uh, And we did try to let them know what the background was. I just suffered uh, a rape and a beating and near suicide. So Um, let me me ask you this on that. Yeah, in that regard, I I did hear about the attack on you in Tucson and and, – let me ask you this. You, you say you were assaulted, uh, sexually assaulted, uh, you're, you're undergoing PTSD. What would you say to Denise who says that you forcibly raped her and that she too is suffering PTSD? What would you say to those rape allegations? Well, the, the, uh, you mean 
as far as the uh, preliminary hearing is, is concerned? Well, as far as the charges in Solano County, the charges that haven't been filed till now, uh, at least in state court, what is your response to the forcible rape 261 charges uh, against you as it pertains to Denise? Well, at this point, I mean, you know, that is a pending legal matter, and because of the posture of the case, I can't really speak to the facts of what did or did not happen, so I'm going to probably have to defer to that on that. I have to be both my own lawyer and a defendant right now, which is sort of a, a tricky situation. So I don't mean to be speaking out of both sides of my mouth. Um, certainly, I will have a response for that at some point. Um, Post-traumatic stress injury is truly uh, a, a terrible affliction. I didn't, I thought that I understood it because I worked with a lot of clients who had it, and I knew how to help them when they would, for example, dissociate or have flashbacks. Um, but there are a lot of things, no matter how much of the clinical literature that you uh, that you read, that I don't think you can really understand until you actually experience it yourself. And I will say, for whoever has it, it's, it's a horrible thing. I don't even know that, I, that my case is particularly serious, and it's bad enough. Now, how would you uh, speak to Denise's uh, feelings that she's been uh, horrifically traumatized by you, she says? What do you, do you, I know you've been traumatized. How about her trauma? As she, as she describes it. Well, again, I'm gonna. I, I'm really sorry, sir. I'm gonna have to defer until uh, the trial. You know, I will certainly be taking the stand in my own defense, and and we'll talk about what did or did not happen. Um, but it's something that, that does have to be saved for a later date. And what would, sorry. That's okay. What would you say? Is there anything you want to say directly to Denise or Aaron? Not necessarily about their wedding, but about what they say they experienced. Anything? Any regrets? Anything you would? I don't think I have. I think that if there's going to be conversation, they should initiate it. They're, that's their right at this point, so I wouldn't presume to say anything to them at this point. Um, you, and, I am certainly yeah. open to dialogue. And, and, and Nathan, do you regret the uh, saying that you would plead guilty if they donated half of their settlement to the Innocence Project? Was that, that was a really – so that was poor judgment on my part. I'm, I'm certainly – Glad that you mentioned that. It's something that um, it's something that is a nice idea that was said in the wrong spirit. Again, I had just been ripped out of Tucson. I had several clients who I was close to getting exonerated, innocent people in prison. I mean, you can imagine the horror of waking up every day in prison knowing that you're there for crimes you didn't commit. Um, and these were actually the same people that I was going to basically dedicate their exoneration to Denise and to Aaron, um, and it just seemed very backwards that I'd then been ripped away from that at key moments in their cases, and I know that all of those folks now are, are really, really worried. They don't know what's going to happen, um, so I was pretty angry and emotional about the way those things had happened, and I probably projected things on Aaron, Aaron and Denise that just aren't true. Um, I know they knew some of the situation, but I don't think they knew the particulars, so that was a poor choice on my part. I will, you know, the offer stands. Uh, I don't, not to say that revenge would have anything to do with it. If they decided to do it, they would just be wishing to save the taxpayers money um, and also provide help for, for many, many innocent people in prison who certainly use some help. Uh, let me ask you about Vallejo Police. Why was it important for you to uh, defend Denise, send me material over email, uh, why, why did that get you concerned that they were not believing what she said? I can't reply.
reply to that without confirming that I'm the person that sent those emails. Um, I will tell you I'm certainly outraged, as everybody should be, by the conduct of the police, um, or at least insofar as they decided at such an early phase in the investigation to turn it back to the victims and call it a hoax. Um, that was probably not the best policing. I don't know all of the motivations behind it, so I won't presume to, to say that, you know, but I did yeah, it was obviously a very, very damaging movement. I wish it not happened. It certainly outraged me and continues to outrage me. Um, it's a little beyond belief that they haven't apologized yet for that. Um, yeah, and Matthew, I, there were reports suggesting that you were actually targeting not Denise, but a former girlfriend of Aaron. What can we say about that? I am aware of those reports, just going through the discovery materials in my case. Um, I can't speak personal knowledge. Uh, you know, I'm aware of the allegations. I don't. I don't have any information about that, really. How about any? Uh, I, don't have, I don't have any. I don't have any involvement with uh, the individual. They, they say it was targeting and so forth. So. All right. And, and how about suspicions? Knowledge. And how about suspicions that at least you were eyed at, looked at for certain incidents along the peninsula, some invasions or uh, burglaries? Well, those I will certainly be speaking to again when when the time comes for that. <laughs> But now's not the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Aaron and Denise have, uh, believe that more than one person was involved. Uh, can you, you know, disavow them that theory? The investigators say you use the voice. That's something that will come out fairly soon that, that I can't discuss prior to actually offering testimony in the case. There's going to be a, a, a probably motion to suppress, and so, as you might know, legally, when you do that, you have to try to find an independent source of what you know, so any statements I, I make at this point can and will be held against me, um, so I can't even speculate or try to speak in a subjunctive or um, do any little tricks like that. I just have to sort of categorically state at the time I'm just going to leave the facts alone. Uh, I know that you uh, read your on your website and through the previous documents, uh, you are uh, bipolar. Uh, I understand. Are you taking medication while in jail? And are you mounting, indeed, a mental health defense if this goes to trial? Uh, yes, I will be. Right. Yeah, I do suffer from bipolar illness. And the, um, uh, I did read your uh, motion to vacate your federal, uh, I believe it's your federal conviction, and there's many, many points that you outline, including uh, Tom Johnson, uh, the fruits of the poisonous tree from the Dublin search of the phone. In general, are you, I know the, the appeals are to be expected, but are you, well, are you not guilty, in fact, of the, at least the federal kidnapping case and the underlying situation that led, took you to federal court? Sure. As, as a legal matter, yes, sir. I think the plea of not guilty in that case would be accurate. That obviously becomes actual there are things like medical defenses. Um, there are other defenses encompassed within a not guilty plea. So, yes, a not guilty plea in that case, I think, would have been appropriate. As to the um, motion to suppress relating to the cell phone, I never thought that that was something that was likely to succeed. Um, it was, from my side, my motivation for allowing that to go forward was actually I thought law enforcement needed confirmation from a court that, yes, they were allowed to do that under exigent circumstances. That was pretty plain to me from a reading of the, the relevant case law. And so I thought, shoot, why not? It's going to get denied. But I can't 
think have the good effect of sort of providing a data point clarifying that under these circumstances, yes, they can go ahead and do that since it was a new case and police didn't know at that point when they could or could not search a cell phone. Now, knowing that under Prop 115, and we mentioned this earlier, that Vallejo police or maybe the FBI could take the place of key witnesses such as Denise and Aaron, but knowing that Vallejo police flubbed the case, what are the chances, you think, what would be stronger to have Denise and Aaron testify or Vallejo police in this case, given what we know about what how they handled the case initially? Well, the, the police, to the extent they're, they're testifying about what Denise or Aaron said, I think would probably faithfully report what was told to them in statements, and there are records um, that they've already made of that. Again, it's, you know, you can't really attribute the conduct and the choices of the department as a whole to individual actors. I'm sure there are many outstanding professionals among the force. It could be management issues. I mean, who knows who, knows who it was that, that made the call to go forward with the, the hoax theory um, and what that was based on. So I'd hate to, to call out any particular law enforcement officer as, as unreliable, but I'm sure there are many excellent professionals on that force. Now, curious, and you kind of alluded to this earlier in, in not directly stating that you were the author of the emails. Uh, are you saying, can you say that if you, did you send me the so-called, what people call the proof of life audio of Denise, and why did you send that? I, again, can't speak to the facts, sir. I, I do apologize. So answering that question, it would be a compound question. It would be on the basis that I was that person, so... Uh, I have to defer. I apologize. Gotcha. And um, do you believe Tom Johnson uh, failed you? I think there was talk of a potential better deal, not 40, but maybe 34 years, that he may not have explored uh, certain issues enough, including, uh, well, you say that maybe he wanted to sanitize some of your statements uh, because he may have believed that you were not taking enough responsibility for your conduct. Tell me about a little bit of that. Well, the specific allegations of the motion were, were actually that um, no mental examination was conducted until actually the sentencing phase. And typically, you know, if you're going to go ahead and pay for a mental examination, it would make sense to do that as, as early in the process as possible to start to start with to make sure that your, your client is actually competent um, to proceed and participate in his own defense and then to see whether a mental defense is, is called for. At the sentencing phase, you're just looking at something that might swing the judge one way or the other. It's you know, something in mitigation. And what he had advised after I received an examination that basically said, you know, would not have, you know, assuming that you did all of this, you certainly would not have done it if not for mental illness, um, and that you were a victim yourself, given your past, given what happened. Um, he felt that basically the report was too good, and that, you know, maybe it would have been good during the, the actual criminal guilt phase, but for the sentencing, it seemed not consistent with taking responsibility, because it actually seemed to absolve me of responsibility. Um, as to other aspects of the defense, I mean, I have an ongoing dialogue with Tom. I don't understand all of the decisions that he made. I haven't heard back from him, so I'm not going to jump to conclusions. Um, but I will continue to have a dialogue with him and figure out if there was some actual strategic reason for certain choices that he made, but there are none that I, that I know of right now. 
Uh, and uh, Matthew, I understand you you have since gotten married to the same woman who you were with before this entire incident happened. Tell me about yeah. uh, her and confirming you, your hope someday is to get out and be, and be with her. Tell me about that. Yeah, Wei is my wife. We, we met um, quite a few years before this happened and, and dated for a while and were boyfriend-girlfriend, even moved in for a bit, and then one of my mental health episodes um, split us up, unfortunately. But she was the first to, to run to my side after I was arrested. And, I mean, I tried for two years to convince her, you don't want to be around me. I'm really, you know, I'm like a ticking time bomb. Um, you should go out and have a normal life. I already know how I'm going to deal with this. And then I fell into depression and wasn't really much with anybody. Um, she still stuck with me. And we started talking about getting married. I told her, I think that's a horrible idea because, you know, you could have any guy. Why do you want me? Um, but she insisted. I made her wait until I at least got sentenced. Um, I had planned on just asking for a life sentence. She convinced me, don't do that. The judge ended up giving me 40 years. Uh, we got married the next day. Uh, tell me about prison life. I understand that you were helping others, and do you, did I hear correctly that you are uh, happy with the regular, not happy, but you are content with the regularity behind bars in that you know, I know you were in the Marines, there's a lot of chaos, you under uh, the anthrax inoculations, but talk, tell me about the, the prison life, how that's faring for you. Well, sir, you were right the first time, I was actually happy. I mean, I don't need much. I have never put a lot of stock in material things until my mental health kind of went south and I began to take sort of money and the fact that I went to some fancy-sounding school is kind of my new identity or a way to feel not so abased by the mental illness. Um, but really, I don't, I don't particularly identify with any of those things, so I'm happy with the level of living there. And the best part is, is that there is an endless supply of legal need. There are, uh, you know, I was just horrified at how many people, I, I thought that, you know, at some point during my incarceration of 20, 30, 40 years, if I find just one person who's innocent and exonerate that individual, then, you know, everything comes clean. And boy, was I amazed at, at just how many I found. Um, I mean, you've got sort of straight-up cases of this is an innocent person. You've got kind of complicated cases where someone's maybe guilty of something else or a lesser offense um, or where someone's over-sentenced. I mean, there's just so much legal need there. Um, but for me, it does really come back to the exoneration cases where I just can't I, – I don't know how these people do it. I don't know how they wake up every day and see the, the razor wire and know that they're there for something that they didn't do. So, um, I, just, this. I can't imagine the horror of that. That's a good point. For the layperson, they, they hear about not guilty, pleaded guilty. We mentioned the Innocence Project. The, the straight-up question is, do you believe you were wrongfully convicted, at least in federal court at this point? And let's go with the Dublin case. Meaning, are you uh, should you be part of the Innocence Project, or are you where you should be based on the plea, the legal plea? Well, more information about the Dublin case will, will come out. Um, wrongfully convicted... There was, there was police misconduct um, that will that will come out in the motion to suppress. Um, it's something that's unfortunately very very common, and it's also unfortunate that our a lot of our privacy protections are tied to this particular remedy for, for defendants. Um, it ends up pressuring privacy into you know kind of a, a filthy box or a bad neighborhood. Um, so I don't know that the decisions should be made as, as part of criminal trials, but. Uh, there were some major violations in my case. 
Let, uh, let so me I ask you this. Yeah, so going back to, let's go, sorry to jump here, we're going to run out of time. Let's say Denise, I'm going to summarize, she describes the horrors that she says you put her through. Let's say you're on a cross. Are they, are there, first of all, are there, what are some questions you might ask? Number two, as far as handling Denise, are you going to be looking at a question of identity, or how could it be me, or are you going to poke holes like some defense attorneys might say, well, how do you know that you know this happened you were blindfolded or how do you recall that where you know this guy was wearing a red shirt as opposed to a blue shirt what, what kind of questions and what kind of strategy will you have as you cross Denise I don't foresee a particularly long cross examination uh, there are particular things I want to address um, and, and that's pretty much it in regards to the more sensitive topics I'm, I'm working now on, on possible stipulations with the, the prosecution so that we don't even have to get into any of that um, so again depending on what the outcome of those discussions is it, it, you know there are a few succinct issues to address um, but it's not where it's going to be an eight-hour grilling um, not a sort of Perry Mason moment or good men. It's, it's not going to be a courtroom drama. It's going to be read some questions, get some answers. Very businesslike, very professional. Um, and hopefully none of the sensitive topics need to, need to be touched. So are you planning not to traumatize or re-victimize her? I, I certainly hope not, no. I, I'm still looking for ways. Again, we have a hearing the day before to work on arrangements. There's another judge. I'll have another chance to say again, is there something that we can do um, to, to, you know, provide for this or at least have a contingency plan or something? You know, nobody wants this kind of a spectacle, least of all me. And there's some talk of some recordings that you are alleged to have made, uh, whether it's in Vallejo or South Lake Tahoe, some sensitive topics about uh, regarding uh, alleged sexual assault of Denise allegedly by you. What can we say about recordings you're accused of making? I'm, I don't know yet whether the prosecution will be introducing those. Um, if it's evidence that I'll need to review, it's certainly something I will wait until the last possible minute um, and try to find some other way to do that without me personally watching them. Um, again, that's part of discussions I'm continuing to have with the Sumano County District Attorney. I think that they're negotiating in good faith, and I'm hopeful that we'll find some way around needing to address any of that or have me view any sensitive materials. So you don't intend to, in what some say, relive any moments that might be caught on Certainly the not. No, I, no. I mean, even the, the prospect today of uh, going over it with the investigator, of having to watch those just for two hours, I couldn't think about anything else. And I, I, I do not want to watch them. If there is any other way possible, uh, I will take it. And as far as um, Aaron, any strategies with Aaron. He's certainly very upset at what he endured and what uh, Aaron, uh, what Denise went through. How would you uh, cross him? Again, I just have some particular things to verify from the police reports and um, a few things I need to, to get in and get out and do. And I don't think, again, it's going to be a, a four, six, eight-hour grilling. Um, I, I don't see it as being sort of acrimonious drama. Um, I hate to be a letdown. There's, there's hopefully the, the less drama for all involved, the better. This is going to be very businesslike. Um, it'll just be getting some testimony on record, and that will be that. 
uh, you probably know as much as I do, uh, the bar is pretty low at, at the prelim or PX level. Do you fully expect to be held over for trial? We'll see. Be, it, it, again, I, it's hard to speak to that without knowing what stipulations will be on the table and, and what evidence exactly they're going to introduce. There are some charges that are very susceptible to attack. It has less to do with whether or not a particular event happened. It has more to do with do the events as alleged meet every element of the charge defense. So I think it'll come down more to a legal argument um, once the evidence is out about whether that evidence will, will actually meet the, the required elements of the offense. And have you been provided a witness list by the DA, and can you say who is on that list? I have been provided. I don't know that it, would be, that it would be appropriate for me to, to disclose all of that, so I think I would refer you to the Solano County District Attorney for that. There may even be a security consideration I don't know about, so um, I'm not sure even if it's subject to a protective order because I can't get on the court docket and look at these things, so I will defer to them on that. Gotcha. And uh, have you been provided all the discovery, or are you still awaiting any of I'm awaiting some of the discovery still. I believe they're making good faith efforts to provide what is required in advance for preliminary. And uh, how confident are you that, well, what do you want people to know about Matthew Mulder? They see different parts of you. They see you as a proud Marine, Harvard Law graduate, and now convicted kidnapper, now charged, accused of rape. What do you want people to know about you? I think people should go hug their kid or hug their dog and not spend a lot of time thinking about me. Um, I'm really not that important in the scheme of things. I want the right thing to happen. Um, the odd thing is, is that I am more or less neutral about whether or not I die in prison. I am doing this mostly for my wife. I mean, of course, I hope to have some time with her. We'd like to spend our last years together. Um, even with a lower sentence, I mean, the average life of a prisoner is something like 60 years. And no, that's not because most of the prisoners are broken down folks with, with all sorts of problems. It's because mental, or I'm sorry, um, well, mental health as well. But healthcare in prison is, is not good. I have a friend who will be dead at 50 within months because even after knowing for a year and a half that he had prostate cancer, they did nothing for him. Um, so really, once you have something go wrong with your body in prison, probably a goner. What would you say that there's a, and we hear this all the time with legal eagles or legal pundits saying, well, we know Matthew Mulder has some mental health challenges, yet I have, we know many other people who are bipolar or going through depression who don't commit these kinds of violent crimes. What would you say to that kind of argument? Hmm. There's a pretty simple logical fallacy in that. It's basically the same as saying that, well, some people who get a cold have a really bad cough and some people don't have a bad cough. So if you don't have a bad cough or you do have a bad cough, it must have nothing to do with you having a cold. So just because some people who do that, you know, do have mental illness and some don't, um, you know, it doesn't mean it's not related to the mental illness. It's something that... Uh, can certainly drive that. I would just refer folks to the fact that I, you know, I'm not someone who has had this long string of criminal convictions building up to this. I was a regular pro-social, high-achieving person involved in nonprofit work. My legal career was was mostly um, in the public interest, and then bipolar on this game ruined my life, and. 
eventually here I am in prison. So it's not something unless I was contriving somehow to fake all of this 12 years before anything happened, which is when the mental health problems started to set in. Um, I just don't see how you can credibly say that one has nothing to do with the other. Yeah, and again, I can I can understand because right now what's outstanding is this set of allegations that I'm supposedly a serial rapist. So um, I guess all I can say is stay tuned. Uh, wait till you get all of the facts in, and then you can make your judgment. Gotcha. Should you be afforded any leniency? So many people see you as a monstrous figure. I mean, you're, you're not a monster, right? You, you do you see yourself being handcuffed by the constraints of your mental illness challenges? I think there is a really interesting question about criminal defendants in general, um, the issue of basically blameworthiness um, and dangerousness, which are two different things. So someone who is dangerous may or not be blameworthy, um, but in any event, something needs to be done about that dangerousness. So, you know, even if I were, even if it were due to mental issues, I would be the first person who wants me incapacitated to make sure that I could not hurt anybody again. It seems like I'm not going to be able to get a hold of those mental health issues. So, again, I think the most likely outcome, I really think that if there is a settlement, um, it's going to involve a long prison sentence for me anyhow. Really, the only scenarios where I get off almost completely involved going to trial um, I mean, I just happen to think my legal position is very strong. I hope that that is something that leads the other side to deciding to, to end this early, um, which I also think will be really good for them. I think that they need to move on with their lives and put this behind them. Um, and, gotcha. yeah. Well, we have about just 40 seconds left. Uh, thank you for taking the time. I'm sorry about the delay, but uh, we'll go from no, there. No, no problem, sir. Yeah, all right. Take All right, care. thank, thank you, you so much. Bye-bye. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.